The Metropolitan Opera's 2019-2020 season opens with a masterpiece coming back to the Met stage for the first time in 30 years, the Gershwins Porgy and Bess. Find out more about opening night on today's episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. There are few occasions to match the excitement, theatrical magic, and glamour of an opening night at the Metropolitan Opera. This year, a new production of Porgy and Bess, directed by James Robinson, is sure to transport audiences to the world of Catfish Row. This is an extremely hot ticket, with two great Met artists in the principal roles, Eric Owens and Angel Blue, as well as a star-studded ensemble that includes Golda Schultz, Latanya Moore, Denise Graves, Frederick Ballantyne, Alfred Walker, and Ryan Speedo-Green. I'm Stuart Holt, and on this episode, we welcome Opera News Editor-in-Chief F. Paul Driscoll and author, lecturer, and Met Radio commentator William Berger as they discuss this season's much-anticipated opening night at the Met. Hi, I'm F. Paul Driscoll, Editor-in-Chief of Opera News, and I'm here with my friend, Met Radio commentator Will Berger. So good to be back and talk to you about the opening of the season this year at the Met. Another season. Here we are. Here we are. What a treat we have coming up on opening night of the Met season. The Gershwins, Porgy and Bess, coming back to the Met on September 23rd. One of my absolute favorite operas is opening our season, and it is an extraordinary work that is guaranteed to blow your hair straight back or off. (laughs) So... Porgy and Bess, started on Broadway in 1935, is now embraced by opera companies all over the world. This new production by Jim Robinson has been done at Dutch National Opera. It was at English National Opera, and now it's coming to the Met. And this is the second production of Porgy and Bess that the Met has presented. I think this work was always meant for the Opera House. I'm pretty sure this is where the Gershwins wanted it to go to begin with. All you have to do is look at the score, Mm -hmm. and you realize this is, one, a grand opera and a terrific one and a challenging one. Sure. Resources that make it come alive are those that you need in an opera house. It's not just a love story between the two stars. There's also an entire huge cast of major character roles and a full chorus of all the residents of Catfish Row, this African-American community in Charleston, South Carolina, many of whom have important solos of their own. And we were talking to Eric Owens about the difficulty, impossibility, really, of singing these roles eight times a week as you would do on Broadway. You have to fudge it a little one way or another. So it is a grand opera. It belongs here and in other opera houses. And I think the Gershwins and all the creators of the original work always thought so. When did you first hear it? Do you remember? I do. I heard, like a lot of people, I heard parts Uh uh, growing up my whole life, uh, these great 
songs uh, and pieces that are excerpted from the opera. But the first time I heard the opera as a whole was in a famous production by the Houston Grand Opera in the bicentennial year, 1976, that traveled around. And I saw it in Los Angeles, where I'm from, and instantly became, if it's possible to say, uh, I joined the fan club of Uh this opera as a work. Because it's so much, even though all the component pieces are so memorable and the, the, the hit songs, for lack of a better word, uh, it was how they related to each other in the piece and the whole arc of the piece that really made an impression on me. We've been saying that this opera is full of hit tunes that everyone knows. Here's probably the most famous, Summertime, from a 1990 performance at the Metropolitan Opera conducted by James Levine with Gwendolyn Bradley as Clara. Summertime, right at the beginning. It's the first solo. What a way to start an opera. Yeah. And it's not Bess who's singing it. No, no. Right? Clara opens the opera. It's a member of the community engaging in an acknowledgement of life cycles. She's singing a lullaby to her baby, and it's summertime and seasons. And so right away we know that life cycles are going to be such an important part of the story that's being told here, Mm -hmm. right? So what are your favorite moments in this score? At the very center of this opera is, of course, the title characters, Porgy and Bess. And the music that they have together runs a wide range. But one of my favorite moments is this duet where they acknowledge their love and the depths of their love. And it is one of the great love duets in opera. And I think of all of them from... Puccini and Donizetti and all sorts, that's all there in this great moment of almost discovery that is, again, something we know in different forms outside of the opera house, but really a paramount moment within the opera. Bess, you is my woman now. Let's hear a little bit of that great duet from a Met performance in 1990 with Simon Estes as Porgy and Leona Mitchell as Bess, with James Levine conducting the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra.
How about some other favorite moments? I have a few. Uh, one of my favorite standalone moments, and I think one of the, one of the more famous ones, is this sort of devil's sermon that the very interesting tenor character, Sport in Life, mm -hmm. gives at a church picnic, no less. What cheek, right? <laughs> uh, it ain't necessarily so. And the lyrics, the words, and the music, the way it comes across on stage, are so remarkably melded together that it becomes this, well, Gesamtkunstwerk is, <laughs> is the $10 opera word to say this total work of art that you can't help but getting caught up in. And it's just this guy being terribly naughty at a church picnic talking about, isn't the Bible silly? Some mm -hmm. of those things you read, it jumps out at you. You cannot avoid being caught up in it. Okay. Let's listen to a bit of the showstopper, It Ain't Necessarily So, with Charles Williams and James Levine conducting the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra at the Met in 1990. The question in this opera, and maybe for every opera, is how much of the role can you deliver? Sure. In other words, these roles are written bigger than any one person can ever deliver. That's why we keep coming back, back to, to them. Back to them, exactly. Remember, this is supposed to be the devil walking among yeah. us. It's very Gounod, Faust, you know, like, what a strange person, right? Mm -hmm. That's who we have here. Beyond all the personality that's imbued in the role, the sheer vocal writing brings up some very disturbing aspects and, at the same time, perhaps it's the same thing, engaging elements of this character, who we are all attracted to, mm -hmm. aren't we? <laughs> okay. That's part of the problem. That is part of the yes. problem. Speaking of attracted to, the character of Crown is mm. one of the most compelling villains in opera. What is it about that relationship that's so fascinating, the hold he has over Beth? Crown is virility and power uh, and not always, <clears throat> to put it mildly, not always channeled within socially acceptable ways. Uh -uh. He is a criminal. He doesn't think twice about uh, drinking, doing drugs in public and beating people up, including his woman. Mm -hmm. uh, she is definitely property. He wants, he's someone who I think is very angry for not getting the respect he feels he deserves as a man in the world. So there are dimensions to his character as well. He's not just an archetype of evil by any means. And because he is so strong and powerful and virile, Bess is understandably attracted to him not only as what he is, but as an opposite of Porgy, 
who is crippled, who is a beggar, who is an archetype of marginalization within the marginalization of this community. It's very interesting. So Crown is the anti-Porgy. But as dangerous as he is, you feel the power of his story, too. He cannot be dismissed. And that's in the music, and you'll hear that. And that's also in the music Bess sings back to him, which is very different than what she sings with Porgy. And I find that interesting. And there's a lot of flagrant sexuality when she sings to him, even if she is, in theory, pushing him away. She engages with him, and he engages with her on a musical level that brings up whole different aspects of the human experience than what happens between Bess and Porgy. And Crown is, I think, one of the things that makes this opera work, because he's not just an evil baritone by any means. His experience, what's made him what he is, is part of what has made everybody else what they are, too. And I think they see that in him. You know, I love the way people deal with these characters like Crown and Sport and Life. Like, they don't like them. They'll tell them that. But they're there. Yeah. They're, they're on stage. They're participating in one form or another in the gambling and the church services and the funerals and this sort of thing. It's all part of the communal story. Talk to me about the community that this opera represents. Who are they? What we have in this opera is an African-American community in a rundown former group of mansions in Charleston, South Carolina, about 100 years ago. And how this community finds its strength, this marginalized community, where it finds its strength and its vices how it survives day to day, the daily life of it, is not only central to the opera, it kind of is what the opera is about to a large degree. Even at the very end when all these things have happened in the plot, you have this kind of good morning scene where neighbors are going to work and saying hello to each other. And this great sense, again, I'm thinking of Puccini and Tosca in Act Three with the shepherd boy and the bells of Rome, of life going on around the individuals and within the community. And you hear this when sometimes they play dice, sometimes they're praying at a funeral, sometimes they're super, what we would call superstitions. There's a thin line between faith and superstition in, in this community or how we would see it today and so forth. And you see the resilience and the dignity of this marginalized community in an extraordinary way. Like I say, it's a living character. Let's hear a little bit of the chorus of Porgy and Bess in prayer at the Metropolitan Opera in 1990, conducted by James Levine.
So we hope that there will be a lot of people at the Met or on the Met broadcast or the HD who will be encountering Porgy and Bess for the first time yes. in this particular assemblage that the yes. Met has put together. What should they listen for if it's their first experience of the full opera? Okay, I'm going to contradict myself. Okay. And I'm going to say you listen for the big moments and you listen for the in-between moments at the same time. <laughs> we have a remarkable solo from Serena, who's one of the pillars of the community, and she sings My Man's Gone Now. I've seen many people in uh, nightclubs and cabaret life attempt to sing this song and realize the notes are not exactly where you think they are. It's an absolutely sophisticated oh, yes. piece of music that, if it's done right, you won't know that in the audience. And you'll be sitting there hopefully thinking, oh, I'd like to sing that at my next party. Uh, don't. Uh-huh. Don't. And because what you have in My Man is Gone Now is this moment of all the lamentation for loss that has ever happened for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She channels all this pain, and that's why she's there with the members of the community who who become sort of a shadow chorus at a Mm -hmm. certain part in this. She is channeling their pain and offering it up. And not just the pain of that particular death. It's every death. It's very for whom the bell's toll. Right. There's also, for me... One moment that ranks as one of my favorites in all opera. At one point, Bess is ill. Members of the community pray over her. And then they let Bess rest. And you hear this tremolo in the orchestra. That's the most extraordinary thing. What is going on? And what happens, just like in a lot of Puccini operas, people pass by. Just regular life goes on. You know how Puccini does that really Mm -hmm. well sometimes? And street vendors come by, and there's a strawberry woman who crosses the stage selling her strawberries with uh, the old sort of street cry you would have heard in the old days uh, on a push cart and just goes from one side of the stage to the other selling strawberries. And a few other things happen, and Bess revives. Now, of course, it's not the strawberry vendor who cures Bess, mm-hmm. but there's this mystical idea of something in the air. And when the strawberry woman comes by, it's singing mm-hmm. itself that seems to have a magical power, uh, at least in this community where there's a, a thin veil between this world and the next. Mark my words, that moment can bring down the house, steal the show. And people don't even know why. Let's talk about the cast, which yeah. is a really outstanding one. Yes. Start with the Porgy and the Bess on opening night. Opening night, Porgy. Well, I mentioned Gesamtkunstwerk and Wagner a couple of times now, come to think of it. And we have as Porgy Eric Owens, who we've met in many roles, but most recently and perhaps most significantly in Wagner roles. And he is playing Porgy and just in rehearsal and just talking to Eric He is both mining it for the tradition of this role and much of the music that is familiar and also bringing something completely new to it. For example, he has a standalone moment, I Got Plenty of Nothing, which you may know as a a song outside of the opera. And when I heard Eric in rehearsal singing it within the context of the opera, he didn't change it. Mm -hmm. 
but it is so woven into what is going on and the character of Porgy that it was as if I had not heard it before. So that was extraordinary. We have someone who is an emerging star here at the Met, Angel Blue, and we've heard her as both Mimi and Musetta in La Boheme. And you get with Angel a lot of things that are really necessary in this extraordinary character of Bess. Bess is very interesting. She's this woman who is kept by a, a very tough guy, an abusive guy, and uh, always on the verge of being seduced by this sport and life devil character. And where is Bess in all this besides the men that she's defined by? And there's so many aspects to her. She's one of these great operatic divas, like I think of Norma, who have so many different aspects to her from all the range of womanhood. And there's innocence, and there's toughness, and there's vulnerability, and there's fight. And she's a fighter and a victim, and all these things all at once. Angel Blue is exploring all of these. So not just Porgy and Bess are stars here, but everyone's a star. Tell me about the rest of the cast. I think that's another thing that makes Porgy and Bess such a grand opera, is you need the depth of casting in all these Again, big quote marks here, secondary roles that are not secondary. We have Alfred Walker as Crown, who brings the power uh-huh. that you really need in this role. Latanya Moore, Serena, wow, she's sung Aida, and that's sort of a voice in this role in her solos and in ensembles is going to be something really special. Luxury casting, Denise Graves as Mariah, a sort of matriarch of the community. A lot of this role is spoken, but there's also some real singing too. And Denise Graves, who has been a great star here, we've heard her as Delilah and Carmen in so many memorable performances. She's in this. Golda Schultz as Clara, who is an absolute, I hate this term, but I have to use it, force of nature. And Frederick Ballantyne as Sport and Life. This is Uh, Often it's a character role, definitely, but we're getting real vocalism in it from him, too. And this is his Met debut, so I'm telling everyone right now, keep an eye out and your ears open. And Ryan Speedo Green, who has emerged out of the Metropolitan Opera into larger roles, and he's another member of the community with some important solos and ensembles, both major star voice. Yeah. Two members of the production team are making their Met debuts with Porgy and Bess, James Robinson, who's the stage director, and Camille Brown, who's the choreographer. And choreography is a surprisingly big part of this show, is it not? Very much so. And I loved what both the choreographer and the director have been saying. They've been saying much the same things, that they see this opera in a lot of the ways that I do as a story of individuals within community, mm-hmm. and that Camille Brown spoke so eloquently about how she was going to make the choreography part of the living and breathing community rather than blocks of dance coming in and out, which I think is very much in the score and the way I love dance best in mm-hmm. opera. And we have David Robertson at the podium bringing it all together. Will, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me about Porgy and Bess, which opens at the Metropolitan Opera at the beginning of the season, opening night, September 23rd, and I can't wait 
I'm glad if you're even as partially excited as I am. No one could be as excited as you are. <laughs> Many thanks to Opera News Editor-in-Chief F. Paul Driscoll and Met Opera Radio commentator William Berger for giving us a sneak peek into Porgy and Bess, which is opening the Metropolitan Opera 2019-2020 season in just a few days. To learn more about the operas of the upcoming season, please join us for our education programs. From pre-performance lectures to backstage tours, there really is something for everyone at the Metropolitan Opera Guild. For more info, please visit metguild.org. Until then, I'm Stuart Holt. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you at opening night.